Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. What is going on, affiliate sports fam? It's your favorite history teacher, Mr. Parker Ainsworth, here with another edition of FN Sports, the podcast where teachers grade sports' biggest issues. Today, we have a couple of different shorter theses. Before we have a chance to dive in, let's look at some gold stars and detentions. First gold star goes to the Cincinnati Bearcats for officially, after we kind of all saw it coming all season, being the first non-Power 5 team to make it to college football playoff not named Notre Dame, although it's weird to not think of Notre Dame as a non-Power 5 team, because one of the times they made it, they were a Power 5 team because they're an ACC. That's a long story, but... We are going to give Cincinnati a gold star for being what we'll call a group of five team in the college football playoff. Cincinnati Bearcats went 12-0 and won the American Conference in, we'll say, exciting fashion by really putting it to the Houston Cougars. Cincinnati is the number four seed in the college football playoff, and they will get to play Alabama in the opening round in a couple of weeks. In a similar vein, a second gold star will go to Michigan and Jim Harbaugh for winning the Big Ten. This is Jim Harbaugh's first Big Ten title, which I think Michigan fans might have thought many were coming after he signed that massive deal to come to Michigan as a Michigan alum. I know that the Blue really, really thought he was going to have a much bigger impact, but it looks like it's finally paying off. They gave him six years, and look at it's paying off. Take note, Texas. It takes more than three years to build a program. And Michigan is also going to be in the college football playoff. They're the number two seed, and they will get to play the Georgia Bulldogs to open the college football playoff. But until that happens in a couple weeks, shout out to Michigan. Shout out to Jim Harbaugh. Gold star for the big conference win. Did's gold star goes to commonly known as Stas on Twitter. That's Stasha Will on Twitter at A-S-T-A-S-I-A-W-I-L-L on Twitter for posting 
fairly frequently. She's a great follow. I should go give her a follow on Twitter. Lots of tweets every day and every night. But this tweet in particular was showing off her Cane's order. Yes, that's Raising Cane's Chicken Fingers. And shout-outs to Astasia Will for having the third Cane sauce. If you have not been to Cane's, A, highly recommend you go all chicken on the hate, but also a great, great sauce. And getting that third Cane sauce is a veteran move. Shout out to Stas for sharing the good news, the good advice, I should say, on Twitter. Gold star to my man, Jay Sean Tate. Jay Sean Tate of the Houston Rockets. And extending there, as I'm recording this, league-leading win streak. They have the longest active win streak at five games. We hope they finish it up with another one tonight after I'm recording this. But Jay Sean Tate led the way against the Oklahoma City Thunder with 32 points. 10 rebounds, 7 assists, 5 blocks, and 2 steals to seal the deal and a come-from-behind victory over those Thunder. Worth mentioning, it feels like the Rockets broke the Thunder because the next night, the Thunder lost by the most points ever in an NBA game. They lost by 73 points to the Memphis Grizzlies. While that could get its own detention, we're going to try and stay positive here and give a gold star to Jay Sean Tate for breaking those thunder instead of worrying about them once they were broken gold star to the detroit lions for winning a football game now i know that that's a low bar but when you're the lions and your history is that you went 0-16 in 2008 2-14 in 2009 3-12 and 3-12-1 i should say in 2019 just 5-11 last year and to date they were 0 10 and 1 before winning today over the hot Minnesota Vikings. I say hot, they've been surprising this year, so maybe that's being, or maybe that's extending, I should say, too much credit to Minnesota Vikings. But that is an impressive win, frankly, even after an extremely unimpressive season. So shout out to the Detroit Lions for winning a game. Shout out to Dan the Man Campbell for finally getting one you know there is no one more excited after a big win than Dan Campbell especially after how emotionally drained he appeared to be as the losses kept on piling speaking of gold stars being handed out in losses we're going to go ahead and give a gold star to Utah Ute Nephi Sewell who was consoling his brother after they beat down Oregon now Nephi Sewell has his brother Noah Sewell, who plays for the Oregon Ducks, and he was caught on camera consoling his younger brother instead of celebrating his own Pac-12 title. I will say that while I don't know what every brother or sibling relationship is like, that certainly speaks to a really great bond between those two young men. Shout out to Nephew Sewell for reaching out to his younger brother, knowing his brother playing for Oregon was just embarrassed on national television, and goal starts the Utah Utes for winning the Pac-12. If only you'd beaten teams like BYU and San Diego State, maybe we'd spend a thesis today talking about getting you into college football playoffs. But I digress. Our first detention goes to a monkey. Yes, that monkey, the pet monkey of Texas special team football coach and his girlfriend, who allegedly bit a a child on Halloween. Now, this seemed like a clickbait story back when it happened. Back when, at Halloween, 
over a month ago at this point, it was tweeted out and then went viral that, yes, a Texas assistant football coach and his girlfriend have a monkey at their house. And then, yes, a small child was coming up for Halloween candy and got bit by that monkey. Now, I'm not saying that Jeff Banks has trained his monkey to bite children. I'm not saying that his girlfriend has trained their monkey to bite children. I am saying that as a dog owner, (laughs) not that my dog is trained to bite people, but you are responsible for your pet. Here's the deal. I got a number of questions, including why are you in possession of this small, potentially aggressive monkey? That's not a normal pet. And I know there's the big keep Austin weird vibe, but that is really, really out there. My second question I still don't get, and admittedly, I'm not reading court cases, I'm reading tweets and ESPN stories, why was this monkey anywhere near children as they were getting ready to get candy on Halloween? Like, why is that near the front door? If you have an aggressive monkey, maybe keep it in a back room or just not near the front door while children are coming in and out on a very common night. It's not a random night. This is Halloween. You know kids are coming. I just don't get it. We're going to detention both special teams coach Jeff Banks, his girlfriend, and I guess we'll throw in the monkey and make it all three. I don't know. This story's out there and weird, and it did get confirmed over the weekend. So I want to point out that this story could have been a detention a few weeks back. Bluntly, I just figured there had to be more to it, like the kid was trying to pull a prank on the monkey or or something. I, I don't know. This is This is not good. This is a bad look. I did get reached out to by a few people on Twitter that know that I'm a Texas sports fan, and... While there is no defense, that seems to be on brand for the Texas Longhorns having no defense. Detention to Texas special teams coach Jeff Banks and his girlfriend and their monkey. Speaking of ESPN stories I'm reading, we're going to detention ESPN for almost forgetting a story until they got enough flack for it. Now, we've talked on this show extensively before, frankly, multiple times, depending how far back you go in the catalog, about how little coverage gets paid to women's sports, especially when they do impressive things. It's mind-boggling to see impressive accomplishments out of women in athletics being underreported. ESPN, it feels like until they got the backlash for it, was not going to talk about Aaliyah Boston of South Carolina went 13 for 13 from the field, did not miss a shot in 21 minutes of play, scored 29 points, and had 14 rebounds. And ESPN didn't mention it on social media until the next day. In fact, it wasn't even in the primary docket of SportsCenter. It was not showed across the network. And frankly, that's beyond disappointing. Now, this is not off-brand, but it does feel weird for ESPN, who has built up several other women's basketball players to not be pointing out how a star from last year's NCAA Final Four goes a game without missing a shot, scores 29 points in just 21 minutes played, and can't get a mention. That feels unreasonable. They sure point out Paige Beckers. They sure point out Sabrina Ionescu. And I wonder what kind of differences you could draw between the two. I don't Wanted to say too much on that, but man, I don't know how ESPN could just omit this Aaliyah Boston story. Detention to ESPN, and frankly, 
just the coverage of women's sports in general, but in this particular case, that falls to ESPN. And I'm going to go into detention Brian Kelly and Lincoln Riley for these big coaching moves. So since our last recording, and before our recording for my bookie midweek, which we cover the NFL and different things like that, a pair of very high-profile coaches in college football left high-profile programs to sign with other high-profile programs. Brian Kelly left Notre Dame to head to LSU. Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma to head to USC. And while those are both fine, it just seemed kind of scandalous. Brian Kelly was apparently at recruits' homes when the news broke. He was selling kids on coming to Notre Dame while news is breaking that he is no longer going to be at Notre Dame. Lincoln Riley tells reporters on Saturday night that he is not going to Baton Rouge for the LSU job and takes a private jet to LA for the USC job the next day. Now, while I'm all for autonomy and picking your job and you should get to pick where you live and there's such limited jobs that if you really want to live in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, go for it. If you want to live in Los Angeles, go for it. If you want to live in Minnesota, go for it. Here's the deal. You can't be sneaky. You can't be conniving. You need to be up front. You can't, I understand that that's just how these businesses run. And so maybe this attention should really go to a more grandiose theme or something like that. But man, that's just lying through your teeth. Failing to tell the truth is a form of lying. And both of these guys, to different extents, are lying through their teeth. And bluntly, if the right money opens up, they're going to lie again. Bluntly, if Alabama were to throw double the money at Lane Kiffin, he'd leave USC too. He can sit there and tell you, this is my forever home, and I feel like Ole Miss is where I want to be. But if Alabama came a-calling, he's leaving, right? If Lincoln Riley is sitting in USC, sitting in, out there in LA at whatever nice home he's got and so on and so forth, and I have my thoughts on other challenges there are in building a program at USC, but if he's sitting there and someone asks me, say, this is the best program to be a part of, you get to live in the City of Angels, you get to be a part of this historic program, all the facilities you want in the world, blah, blah, blah. If you're from Southern California, you get to play at home, blah, blah, blah. And then, I don't know, let's just say New Orleans Saints throw twice as much money at him, he will leave in a heartbeat. If Brian Kelly is sitting at LSU telling all these kids about all these things he wants to do and all the money, all the program history and all these things that they should want to be a part of and how great it is to stay because Louisiana's got a great high school recruiting base, how great it is to stay so close to home and, and all of those things. But then Florida throws twice as much money at him. He'll also leave. All of these guys need to stop lying about those kinds of things. And I guess while well, I can pin it on Lincoln Riley or Brian Kelly, and I, I threw Lane Kiffin in because he's in the same vein. I I just, I get that folks will say, well, that's part of the job, Ainsworth. But maybe it shouldn't be. Maybe it shouldn't be part of the gig that you lie through your teeth to get 17 and 18 year old kids to choose you. Maybe you should be, maybe the business should be more blunt and open. Be like, listen, while I'm here, I'd like to coach you. And while I'm here, I think we can do great together. And while I'm here, I'm going to work for you as an athlete. Maybe that needs to be the conversation, not, I don't know, this is the best place ever until somewhere else pays me more money. All right, so we got a few different short theses today. We're going to dive further into college football. We're going to dive into the NBA, and we're going to dive some into the Major League Baseball 
lockout. Now, I anticipate this lockout lasting some time, so we're going to really hit the surface of it and dive deeper in in a little while, a couple weeks till we get some guests on to talk about it more. Until then, let's dive in as much as we can. Our first thesis reads, only conference champions should be eligible for the college football playoff. Now, I'm going to give that thesis like a high B. And I know this is controversial. It's not horribly different than we had with Mr. Cummings a year ago. But I think there's some more recent news that kind of mixes it up a little bit. And frankly, we just had the final playoff rankings. We're going to have Alabama 1, Michigan 2, Georgia 3, Cincinnati 4. And only three of those four are conference champions. So let's dive in. All right. So I gave a high B to the thesis. Only conference champions should be eligible for the college football playoff. And I got a number of thoughts here. I gave it a high B because, bluntly, there are 129 FBS teams and 125 other FCS teams. That's almost 250 Division I college football teams. 129 are competing to make it into the college football playoff. You play 12 games. No matter how difficult you think your schedule is going to be, you play less than a tenth of the league. Grandly speaking, less than a tenth of the league. And as you look at it, you're also picking your schedule years in advance. Back when Alabama picks to play Miami to open the 2021 season, they have no idea which you they're getting. You know, when Texas, many years ago, scheduled Alabama to be the 2022, I don't want to say season opener, I think they actually opened with a cupcake, but the second game of the season, at the time, that felt like two historic powerhouses rematching the 2009 championship game. You know what's going to be next year? A big, fat dud. Some of these games don't make any sense. Some of these games scheduled so far in advance, you can't really and realistically pick who's going to be good enough to play and bolster your resume and you only get to play a tenth of the FBS teams. If you don't win your conference, how are we to know what's going on in that conference? Like, yes, the Georgia Bulldogs had an impressive 12-1 season before, bluntly speaking, getting embarrassed on national television in the SEC championship game. But that big season, I would ask, who all do they end up playing? Right? Like they open the season with Clemson, who after the year at the several year run they've had, looks like a great win on paper to open the season. But that ten to three win is against a Clemson team that we later saw finish six and two and third in the ACC. Like, that's just an okay win. Right? As we look at Georgia's schedule across the rest of the way, like, yes, they stomped a hot Arkansas team, but that Arkansas team didn't finish the year quite so hot. Their other ranked teams were against an Auburn team who, I I mean, they had a great rivalry game with Alabama, but otherwise had a fairly unimpressive season. They beat a Kentucky team that at the time had not lost a game, but went on to lose two more games in a row after that, including Mississippi State and Tennessee, right? Like, there just isn't enough evidence actually for me to say, like, well, Georgia played this tremendous schedule. Like, yeah, they beat Georgia Tech 45 to nothing, right? Yeah, they beat Missouri 43 to 6. And bluntly, I would say that in watching some of those games, I did feel like, because of the number of 
obvious pros on the field and because of the schemes they're running and because they hadn't allowed more than 13 or 17 points all season before the Alabama game, that that's one of the best college defenses of all time. But they then turn around and laid a big stinker in the conference championship game. I also look at this as like, at some point, because we see what Georgia did against the SEC competition, and we see how that doesn't matter against a big, bad Alabama team, I would look across the rest of the league and say, who are we to know that, you know, Baylor's 11-2, and they avenge their loss against Oklahoma State, maybe their big stinker, the way that Georgia laid a big stinker against Alabama, maybe that stinker for Baylor was just the TCU game, and a stinker is a stinker, and every team practices, and that's just a loss, and then... They play Oklahoma State later and beat them, so that feels like somewhat of a way to look at their second loss. I, I just I don't know that I'm necessarily even keel on saying that's the way to go about this. Georgia had their shot to win their conference and then get in, and they didn't, right? Notre Dame would be interesting here because they are currently not in a conference, right? They're an independent. They were 11-1. They came in fifth in the final rankings and, frankly, did get to play Cincinnati. Now, Who's to say that the Notre Dame stinker, the way Georgia laid a stinker against Alabama, was not just the Cincinnati game, right? Like, maybe the rest of their schedule that they played great on, so forth, so forth, and I guess they opened the season kind of slow, but they did win those games, and then they show up and play Cincinnati, lay their stinker, and now they're back to being good again, or whatever the case may be. Like, I I just, I have a hard time just overall saying that, well, yeah, Georgia, you know, lost a game badly on national television, but they're still clearly, it's like, well... Everyone, except for Cincinnati, has a loss on national television somewhere in their schedule, right? Everyone that plays in a Power Five plays programs that have some level of money. And while the SEC continues to pump out good teams, after the Alabama resume, the last decade, you've got a lot of up and down roller coaster kind of teams. Like, the Alabama win over Florida looked great this year until it didn't, until Florida started laying a bunch of stinkers, right? The Alabama lost AM looked bad. It was like, well, AM was ranked so high the next week. It's like, and then they weren't. Then they lost a bunch of games, then they weren't. Like across the board here, I just don't seem to agree with that. That's on a micro level. That's looking at this season. On a more grandiose level, on a macro level, looking across all of the seasons, I don't want teams in the Final Four that have played. And so that would hurt Notre Dame this year. They have played. Cincinnati, and they don't play in a conference, so that would feel somewhat like a rematch. Playing an out-of-conference rematch is a little different to me than playing an in-conference rematch, but there's still a rematch. I want to see new games. I don't need to see Alabama-Georgia in a potential championship game here. I've seen that play out. I've seen Alabama one run with that game, and at some level, this is sports and entertainment. I'd like to see new things. And my last point on why I don't think this is a good idea and why I gave this such a high grade is this feels like a real push by the college football playoffs to be like, well, we want to be what's right and we want to have the right champion. And if Georgia's the third best team, even if they didn't win their conference, they're still going to be in because that's what's right. And blah, 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 blah. And I'm on my high horse and blah, blah, But it's the only college sport we care about getting that right in, right? Like if I look at college basketball, I do not think of the team that wins the tournament every year as necessarily having been the best team. Winning March Madness gets you the championship, but that does not inherently mean you're the best team. You might have just gotten hot in March. It's a series of one-game sample sizes. Back when Kentucky 
was in the Elite Eight and lost to Wisconsin. There was no way you could convince me that if every round of the tournament was a three-game playoff series, Kentucky would have lost any of them, right? Kentucky had seven pros, right? Kentucky had blown out everyone all season long. They had an off night, played a good Wisconsin team. It was a one-game sample size. Boom, they're out. That does not mean they weren't the best team that year. That just means they didn't win March Madness. Similarly, the women's side, you've had UConn with a decade of dominance losing single-game sample sizes multiple times. That doesn't mean I felt like they weren't really good. You could say the same thing about a couple of different Baylor women's teams, say the same thing about a couple of different South Carolina women's teams. But at the end of the day, the team that wins the tournament gets crowned champion, even if for 98% of the season, you would not have called them the best team based on that eye test. But that eye test seems to play its way out in football. College World Series, baseball, softball, there are regional tournaments that play into the eventual College World Series, right? The whole NCAA field is broken into a set of eight national-seeded teams into 16 four-team regions, and the winner of those 16 regionals advance to the second round and so on and so forth until you eventually get to playing two out of three because it's baseball and softball you play every day. Eventually, you get to a couple of teams playing a best two out of three in the College World Series. I don't think necessarily that whittling that down from regions, like you could theoretically play one versus two in the nation, but you're from down the street from one another if you're Carolina Duke, and that's just the way that goes, right? You play someone in your region. I I just, I look at the college football playoff as this like only attempt in college sports to get it right. And what it's really doing is favoring programs with history. A lot of these programs get ranked in the preseason super high. Three of the four teams in the final four were in the top eight before the season even started. Cincinnati was eight, Georgia was four, and Alabama was one. It's harder to move down in this thing than it is to move up, right? Because at the start of the season, you've got teams like historic powerhouses. You know, Ohio State was six, and Oregon was nine, and LSU was 11, and Miami was 12, and Notre Dame was 13, and those kinds of things. And, you know, they played their way out of that by and large. Notre Dame moved up. They won a couple of close games to start the year. But, like, LSU fell way out of the top 11, right? Oregon finished with an embarrassing loss to Utah. A&M was starting the season at seven and fell way back. Ohio State lost a couple games this season, including a season opener to Oregon. Iowa State started the season at five, right? They weren't even in the Big 12 championship game. Like some of the Oklahoma, same. Oklahoma starts at three. I'm scrolling up this thing, and they were not in the Big 12 championship game. Clemson started the season at two. They were not in the ACC championship. Like across the board, this feels weird to put so much emphasis on this preseason ranking to then carry its weight throughout the whole season because in this preseason ranking if you're reading the analysis on things like Alabama at number one what it does is it lists all of the guys that left the Devontae Smiths the Najee Harris's the Mac Joneses the those guys that left if you read about Clemson it talks about how we've only seen their quarterback start two games in his college career and we're going to put them at number 
too. We look at Oklahoma. It talks about QB Spencer Rattler. The whole write-up is about Spencer Rattler. You know who didn't finish the season starting quarterback for the Oklahoma Sooners? Spencer Rattler. Across the board, these things tend to be hilariously inaccurate. And we're going to still trust those rankings later in the season. And that's evidenced by how hard it is for a team like Georgia, who starts at four, to ever get out of the top four. Right, The Georgia write-up from preseason talks about quarterback JT Daniels. You know who didn't start in the SEC title game for them? JT Daniels. Why does that make any sense? Now, the only, and again, I want B plus or high B and not an A. But the reason I sit so high on this is because of all that. The reason I'm not giving it an A is because there are the occasional extenuating circumstances. You look at Clemson last year, right? Clemson played Notre Dame, who was at the time, because of COVID, in the ACC. And Clemson's single loss in the regular season was to that Notre Dame team without Trevor Lawrence, right? Now, that's weird, and that's extenuating. He had the COVID protocols and was taken on the so on and so forth. And they ended up winning the ACC championship game. And they won it fairly decisively, and that was the first loss from Notre Dame. And I, at the time, would also argue that should exclude Notre Dame from the Final Four. They didn't win a conference. In a normal year, a one-loss Notre Dame team to me that is not in a conference, I would actually argue for being in it. Uh, I, I think that the deal there is about strength of, strength of schedule and how you're constructing and those kind of things. And I outlined the difficulties in evaluating your schedule years in advance when you're constructing it. The Clemson single loss, though, because of exceeding circumstances with Trevor Lawrence is what makes me think of this. There are the occasional sets of extenuating circumstances. If you're playing somebody and your quarterback is out with an illness, or if you're playing someone and it comes down to that quadruple overtime for the championship, conference championship, it's the only time that someone from the Big Ten West is playing someone from the Big Ten East. It's the one time they've played all year, and it goes to five overtimes, and those are just two-point conversions, glorified coin tosses. Obviously, those are a little bit different than what we just saw Alabama due to Georgia on national television, or we just saw Clemson due to Notre Dame a year ago this time due on national television. I I guess I I sit here and can understand how there are those kinds of things. But we've seen decisive conference champions without any crazy circumstances. I feel like I'm done watching them play their conference. I want to watch the conferences play one another, right? If we were just going to award it to teams that were in the top eight to start the season. Why play all the games between the start of the season and the end? Why do all of that? Okay, Parker. So the thesis statement for this commercial is James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement? Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we, we seem to have an affinity for our beards between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big beards in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis? So I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But you're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So check out the beard struggle. The beard struggle, they make oils, they make balms, they even have have this heated comb to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days, but <laughs> it'll keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. And if you're listening to our show, you can use 
FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your bombs, your shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out the beard struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, the beard struggle's got all the products that you need. The beard struggle, feast your face. The second thesis reads, the Golden State Warriors should be favored to win the NBA championship. I'm going to give that a low B. I'm going to sit like a B- minus on that. They had an incredible week, but I'm going to sit here and go B-. minus. All right, so the thesis read that the Golden State Warriors should be favored to win the NBA championship, and I'm going to give that a B-, minus, and here is why. First, I think we have outline the reasons that they should be favored because while we're close to the middle, we're on the positive side of the middle. They currently are first in the Western Conference at 19-4. and four. As we're recording this, they obviously have MVP candidate again, seems to be perennial MVP candidate Steph Curry. They still have, I believe, Hall of Famer Draymond Green. They also have Andrew Wiggins playing some of his best basketball in his career. They have a number of great younger players. They're bringing back Klay Thompson. Could be as soon as at the end of December. Man, Klay Thompson on Christmas would be quite the present for the people in the Bay Area. And they still have guys like James Wiseman. They still have guys like Jordan Poole. They still have guys like Gary Payton II. They still have young guys contributing across the board. I, I also want to shout out Juan Toscano Anderson. You don't see many guys wearing 95, balling out. He's doing it. Shout out. I think that it's worth pointing out, too, that while I would think it makes them maybe not as good as team as people might think, the West does not look as dominant as it's been in the past. And that might hurt them in a power ranking sense, but should help them in a making the NBA title sense because it's not quite the gauntlet it was just a couple of years ago, right? The Mavs have shown up and down play already this season. We're about a third of the way through, and we saw them collapse in the playoffs twice. The Clippers are up and down this season. We've also seen that they'll have to incorporate Kawhi maybe at the end of the season, and we'll see how that goes, but as great as Paul George was on his own in the playoffs last year, is that really enough to topple this Warriors team, right? The Lakers have shown flaw after flaw after flaw, and if anything, anyone showing them any favoritism would only be because LeBron James is still on the roster, and you trust him to figure it out. The Nuggets have to incorporate at some point Jamal Murray comes back, if that's late in the season. If not, can they really win this thing without a guard? When's the last time you saw a team win without a guard? Uh, yeah, Deion's on to Kubo. Yeah, I just saw that happen. But, like, remember how great his backcourt played. Uh, I also would point out that, like, they didn't have to play Steph Curry with their, with their guards, right? And at the end of the day, there is some element of have you ever been there before with the Nuggets or the Jazz? And the Warriors have less guys than you'd think, right? It's like Steph, Draymond, Clay when he's back. Kevon Looney, I guess they do bring Iguodala off the bench, but in a much smaller role. But they have those guys. Kerr's been there, and I think that that would give them any favoritism in that. I, I guess my hesitation and why I went B- minus comes down to the other you know, 11 guys in the roster. Um, we haven't seen... We've seen Gary Payton II lock up players in the first third of a regular season. He's playing tremendous defense. Go watch him play. He's a lot of fun. We haven't seen him do it 
in the playoffs. Can he lock up a star when stars are getting calls in star moments, right? Like, he's going to get called for every little bump he's giving on LeBron James, even though he didn't in October, right? Same thing with Jonathan Kaminga or Moses Moody or whenever they want to incorporate James Wiseman back in or whatever the case may be as they work in these younger players. Like, as much fun as it is to watch Juan Cano anderson we haven't seen him play in big moments in big playoff games. We don't know what it's going to look like. If anything, you could argue the little bit we've seen of someone like Andrew Wiggins in big playoff moments is not the kind of thing that makes me encouraged to pick them. Picking them would be entirely based on Steph Curry's going to shoulder whatever loads those guys need carried. I also would point out that while the West is not the gauntlet it used to be, it may help them to play a team in the East that's gone through a gauntlet, but that Eastern Conference champion is going to have been through the ringer, right? Milwaukee is still Milwaukee. Miami is going to be tough and a tough, tough, tough out. Atlanta and Trey Young almost did this thing a year ago. The Brooklyn Nets while everyone's giving them a hard time and Harden starts the year slow like he did every year and blah, 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 blah. They're sitting pretty at the second seed out east. Oh, just kidding. Not second seed. They're sitting at top seed out east. I didn't realize the Bulls had lost last night. And I guess even like the Wizards are sitting top of the pack over there in the Eastern Conference. We didn't mention the Sixers because we don't know what's going to happen with Ben Simmons. But if they get an all-star back in that trade, that's Joel Embiid and an all-star, right? We did mention how well the Cavs are playing or LaMelo and the Hornets. Like the Eastern Conference champion is going to have won a tough conference. And that might help the Warriors because that's a team that's got like more more like run on its legs with the meet in the finals. But that also means that that team will have gone through a lot more trials and tribulations, it feels like, than a team out West. The West is not quite themselves. The biggest test in the West for them that we haven't mentioned, but that kind of sparked this thesis, is the Phoenix Suns whom they just played twice in a week, they split. Now, in the second game, Devin Booker did not play, and the Warriors won convincingly. It was 22 points, 22-point win without Devin Booker on the floor in Golden State. In the first game between the two in the last week, that kind of helped spark this thesis, Devin Booker played just 15 and a half minutes, and the Suns won by eight at home. You got to think that if 15 and a half minutes out of Devin Booker and playing at home can kind of shift things in the Suns' favor, that having him for a series would theoretically help even out that 22-point Warriors win from their second meeting. I guess Clay obviously comes back too, and we'll see what he looks like when he does get back, and that shifts the math some too. I'm just not sure I'm re- really ready to just hand it to them like that, so I gave it a B-. minus. I just I think they're really good. The league is fun when they're good. Steph being fun is good for the league. Or Seth being good as fun for the league. I guess that really works both ways. Either way, I'm thinking B- minus on this because they're really good. It's a third of the way through the season. and I think people need to probably hold their horses a little bit. All right, now this thesis is about the Major League Baseball lockout. The thesis reads, the players are right to lock out Major League Baseball owners. I'm going to sit here and give that an A- Maybe an A- minus as I continue to learn more about this, and I'm going to give it my best shot here in a second, but I want to point out we are working on getting some guests to come on and help us break this down further in the coming weeks. But for now, I'm going A or A-, minus, and here's why. All right, the thesis reads that baseball players are right to lock out major league owners, and 
I, I think I'm giving give that a really high grade. Again, I said A or A minus, and here's a breakdown of what's going on so far. As we currently stand, it looks like they're gonna lock out for the foreseeable future. I don't necessarily wanna guesstimate how long or short the lockout lasts, but this is all coming down to economics and finances. So let's look at a little bit about what the player's argument is. The players see a league with no salary cap and players work for a long, long time through the minor leagues and early major league and two-way contracts before eventually, if ever, signing the big deal. We hear about major league deals like what Trout got. We hear like major league deals are signed for 350, 370, three, whatever millions of dollars. But we don't look necessarily at A, how few baseball players that is. That's so, 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 so few baseball players. And what the average contracts end up looking like even the guys that sign those big ones but moreover the guys that never get a chance to sign those big ones work for years and years and years in the minors and in the clubhouse and working their way onto the field and into the lineup for much 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 less fractions talking nothing talking living multiple guys to a hotel room traveling with a minor league baseball club before eventually getting even the shot to get called up now I'm not saying that they have to pay those guys millions as well, but I am saying that I understand players wanting either money earlier, money more spread out, etc., because this is a league that has the the cash, right? They showed that they can have a viable season as far as coming out in the green after just playing less than half of the games two years ago, right? Like, Theoretically, while baseball is not the growing sport that football and basketball is in this country, baseball is still a sport that has a ton of money invested in these players, and the average player just wants a bigger piece of the pie than they're currently getting. Speaking of pieces of the pie, I think it's interesting in looking at these non-salary cap leagues where the teams still share collective money. Like every Yankees hat you see purchased does help out in some sense of fractions of pennies, but does help out the entire league. So that means whenever anyone signs national TV deals, whenever anyone signs national or league-wide sponsorships or league-wide retail deals or league-wide whatever, everyone's getting to eat some off of that. But only a few teams are really spending their money. Now, obviously, those teams are making money elsewhere because they end up being competitive and so on. But teams are turning their own franchises into glorified farm teams and what's really happening there is they're refusing to pay anyone that kind of money which means that that brings the average median value of players down because those are teams that are not going to pay anyone and so clearly that lim if that's going to limit the amount of people paying others that's also going to limit how much say the players have because the Yankees know, or the Dodgers know, or the Red Sox know, or whomever the team may be knows that they're not bidding against 30 teams. They're bidding against four, seven teams, right? Depending on the player. And if they're only bidding against four or seven teams, they have a lot more say in the picking price, right? If you're going to go sign with the Dodgers, but you know the Angels ain't going to pay you, that means that they aren't even worried about the team down the road, right? That This seems to stem its way a lot from the average player, and that's why I want to talk to someone in a couple weeks when we get people on more about 
what the specific numbers and gripes are because that does not sit well with me, right? Like the Miami Marlins can function as a farm franchise. And every time uh, we're not going to pay Christian Yelich, get him out of here, right? We're not going to pay someone, get him out of here, right? Like that can just slough these guys off to not pay does intuitively to me hurt the bottom line for those average players because if the star guys only get so many teams to pick from, the average guys will too. That trickle down will continue to happen. So I'm going to side with the players here instead of A minus. I'm got a couple guys in the works coming and talk to me. I don't know if they're going to shade me or not. I tend to be a players guy, but we'll see how that goes. I'm sitting at A minus currently. Tune back in later for more. Friends, that's going to do it for us here at FN Sports this week. Be sure to check out our midterm edition every Thursday. We're going to have another one out this Thursday to help you all make some money on mybookie.com. Whenever you want to go double your deposit on mybookie.com, make sure you use code FNSports to tell them we sent you. If you want more basketball talk, we're going to work on getting some more basketball content out. Be sure to check out bellyupsports.com for all the great basketball content coming out. There's plenty of college football talk coming out too. Check out Tailgate on the Quad and all the things Kevin is doing and things like the Corner Booth podcast as well. Lots of college football talk. I guess I probably should tell y'all that Kevin is an Alabama guy. He's also a New England Patriots guy. So if you want to go hate listen to someone talk about how great their teams are, go find Kevin on Tailgate the Quad and hear more about college football. I'm sure he'll be doing lots of work to be previewing the college football playoffs. Go check that out. As far as me and my personal stuff, you can find me at Painsworth512. That's P-A-I-N-S-W-R-T-H-512 on Twitter and Instagram. I'm always happy to share things like all of my L's on sneakers. No, I did not get the Amenary ones. And yes, I really, really wanted them. And I'm ashamed I didn't get them, but I didn't get them. I share all my L's on sneakers, things I'm writing, things I'm podcasting, things I'm recording, and a number of different silly, quirky things like at Astasia Will stuff from Canes. Again, Always has some room for some fun Canes content. Not the Miami Hurricanes, Raising Canes. If you like this show and want to make sure you like, subscribe, download, and do all the wonderful things to help us out, you can find us on Instagram at F underscore N underscore sports and on Twitter at FN Sports 2. we got quite a Twitter following going. We're also doing a giveaway on Twitter, so go check that out. What you need to do is reply to our tweet about the giveaway with a screenshot of you subscribe to the show to be entered to win all kinds of gear. What? gear from our merch store we have our merch store in the social media handle and links if you go check out the links in our handle you'll find all the stuff on our merch store including a large flunk hunger campaign with all kinds of different t-shirts and mugs to help us flunk hunger and get you ready for the holidays again please like subscribe download rate review do all the wonderful things that help out the podcast and when it comes to sports don't flunk with us later guys Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.